his quaestorship. In the place of Cornelia, he wedded Pompeia, daughter of Quintus Pompeius, and granddaughter of Lucius Sulla. But he afterwards divorced her, upon suspicion that she had been dishonoured by Publius Clodius, of whom a persistent rumour went abroad that he, in woman's disguise, had access to her secretly during the celebration of the rites of the Bona Dea, in which only women took part. As Quista, it fell to him by lot to execute his office in Father Spain. One day, as he was riding the circuit of his province at the command of the praetor Antistius Vetus for the administration of justice, he came to Gades, where, beholding a statue of Alexander the Great in the Temple of Hercules, he sighed deeply, as if burdened with his own slothfulness, in that he had performed no memorable act in his thirty-three years, what time Alexander had required to conquer the whole world. While he was aedile, he beautified not only the Comitium and the rest of the Forum with the adjoining halls, but he graced the capital also by erecting temporary galleries for the public shows and plays wherein he displayed for the view of all men the superabundant collection of images, statues, and pictures he had collected from all parts for their amusement. As for the chasing and baiting of wild beasts, the stage plays and games, he exhibited them both in conjunction with his companion in office, Marcus Bibulus, and also independently, whereby it appeared that he earned the sole honour and thanks although the charges of these entertainments were borne in common, insomuch that Bibulus observed that his lot was like that of Pollux. For consider, said he, the temple erected in the common marketplace of Rome unto both the twin brethren Castor and Pollux bears the name of Castor alone. Even so, the munificence which Caesar and I provide jointly goes under the name of Caesar only. He became candidate for the office of Pontifex Maximus, and to further his prospects used the persuasive powers of lavish bribery. Considering how deeply he engaged himself in debt, he is said to have told his mother, when she kissed him as he left that morning to go into the assembly for the election, that he would never return home unless chosen pontiff. And so far did he outweigh his two competitors, who surpassed him both in age and in rank, that he carried in their own tribes alone more votes than both had in all tribes throughout. After he was created praetor, although not yet entered into office, the conspiracy of Catiline was detected, and although the Senate generally recommended no lighter punishment than death for the parties to the crime, he alone proposed that their goods should be confiscated, and they themselves put into several free cities and boroughs under the people of Rome, there to be kept in ward. Caesar would certainly have prevailed in this matter, for many were already drawn to his side, among the rest Quintus Cicero, the consul's brother, had not a speech made by Marcus Cato emboldened the whole house, and confirmed all the senators in their former sentence, after they had been at the point of yielding to him. He fell soon into trouble, however, being called into question as one of the Catiline conspirators, both before the quaestor Novius Niger in his house by Lucius Vettius, the informer, and also in the Senate by Quintus Curius, to whom a reward had been voted 
for having first detected the designs of the conspirators. Curious deposed that he had received his intelligence from Catiline, and Vettius even promised to produce Caesar's own handwriting given to Catiline. But this indignity Caesar found in no way tolerable, and he appealed to Cicero, by whose testimony it was shown that he himself of his own accord had given some information to him of the conspiracy, and by prevailing in this he deprived Curious of the reward. As for Vettius, he had him heavily fined and his property seized, after which he was maltreated in the open assembly of the multitude even before the rostra, and then cast into prison. At the expiration of his praetorship, he obtained by lot the farther province of Spain. He had no sooner settled the province in peace, however, than he made haste to depart, without waiting for the arrival of his successor, and he returned to Rome to sue for a triumph in recognition of his victories in Galicia and Lusitania, and also to take on the consulship. He was elected consul jointly with Bibulus, but the party of nobles and principal persons of the city gave order that the consuls for that year should have only the provinces and commissions of least importance, such as the administration of forests and roads. Caesar, taking this indignity most to heart, paid flattering court immediately to Gnaeus Pompey, who had taken offence at the senators for not sooner ratifying his acts and decrees following his triumph over Mithridates. He reconciled also Pompey and Marcus Crassus, who had been enemies since their joint consulship, a time of much jarring and disagreement. He entered likewise into a compact with them both that nothing should be done in the administration of the commonweal that was displeasing to any of the three. It was this notorious alliance that bred the civil war which ensued between Caesar and Pompey. Having entered upon his consulship, he inaugurated the practice of having recorded and published all of the daily acts of the Senate, as well as the people, so that a history of every matter should be preserved. Having promulgated an agrarian law for the division of some public lands, he was opposed by his fellow consul, whom he then drove out of the forum by violence. The next day, when Bibulus complained in the Senate of this outrage, and found not one having the hardihood to bring the matter forward or move a censure, he quit his magistracy and retired within his own house, where he did nothing but issue edicts to obstruct his colleagues' proceedings. From that time forward, Caesar alone managed all the affairs of state, an arrangement very much to his liking, insomuch that diverse citizens, whenever they signed any writings as witnesses, were moved to the merry conceit of putting down that such a thing was done not when Caesar and Bibulus, but when Julius and Caesar were consuls. About the same time he married Calpurnia, the daughter of Lucius Piso, who was to succeed him in the consulate, and affianced his own daughter Julia to Gnaeus Pompey, rejecting Servilius Scipio, to whom she had been contracted, and by whose help especially, a little while before, he had impugned Bibulus. At the same time, he promised in marriage to the repudiated suitor, the daughter of Gnaeus Pompey. Following this new alliance, 
he began, in his deliberations in the Senate, to ask Pompey's opinion first, an honour he had been wont to accord Crassus. Being supported now by the favour and assistance of his wife's father, Piso, and his son-in-law, Gnaeus Pompey, he made choice of Gaul among all the provinces as being especially fitted, by reason of its wealth, to provide him with occasions for triumphs. For, as it was truly said, the Romans triumphed oftener over the Gauls than over all the other nations combined. When Lucius Domitius, a candidate for the consulship, threatened openly that once he should become consul he would divest him of his armies, Caesar sent for Crassus and Pompey to Lucca, a city in his province, and persuaded them to sue again for the consulship and maintain him in his command for five years longer. And these aims he effected. Reassured by this, he presumed to add, at his own expense, other legions to those which he had received from the state. One legion among them, drawn from one of the countries beyond the Alps, he called by a Gallic word, a lauda, which referred to the feathers on their helmets, resembling the crest of a lark. And this legion he trained and armed in the Roman fashion, and afterwards enfranchised throughout and made free of Rome. From this time forward he avoided no occasion of war, no matter how unjust or dangerous, and attacked with equal zeal those nations that were allied with Rome and those that were enemies, thereby provoking them to take arms. During his nine years of provincial government he performed the following acts. He reduced to the form of a province all that part of Gaul which is enclosed within the Pyrenean forest, the Alps, Mount Gabena, and the two rivers, the Rhine and the Rhone.